What's up? Welcome to episode 85 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today, my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? And back with us is Mr. Connor Casey. I'm back. And over in the uh, in the cut chair over there is Mr. Charlie Ridgely. Hello. So, we've gotten this fine collection of gentlemen here today, plus, uh, oh, no, I'm not going to insult anybody. I could say plus whoever I wanted to name there, but... Let's just keep it friendly. We brought all these fine gentlemen here today because we have a variety of things to uh, discuss and we need a variety of expertise to discuss it. So we have a new WWE event coming up, Survivor Series, and Matt and Connor are going to break that down for us. We have some new comics to review, uh, Marvel's Marauders and the ending of the Absolute Carnage event series. We have a new horror trailer that uh, kind of caught my eye and I would love to discuss, plus... Uh, DC Universe has basically given up, and uh, we're going to talk about all of that. But first, the big thing, as you saw from the title of this episode, the big movie release of the week is Frozen 2, the long-awaited sequel to Frozen. And uh, Mr. Charlie Ridgely went out and saw that, and I thought we'd uh, kick off this episode by, I like to try to spread some of the big events around, so we give some in the beginning, some in the end. And I thought this would be a good time to have Mr. Charlie Ridgely come on and kind of drop his thoughts about Frozen 2. Because there's been a lot of hype, a lot of weight, but Charlie, um, you and Matt are probably our biggest Disney experts here uh, working in the office. So what did you think of Frozen 2? Uh, I'm going to be honest, I didn't love Frozen 2, which is really disappointing because oh! I... I love I love the first Frozen. I really, really like the first Frozen movie. Um, it's one of the better Disney films from, you know, since the the nineties. Um, I really, really enjoy the first Frozen. The second one I think left a lot to be desired for me. Um part of it's I mean the height there's no way you can stand up to that first movie and honestly the biggest problem for me with the sequel was that it tried so hard to mimic the first movie. You know, when when Frozen two was just being itself and allowing itself to be something different. It actually worked really well, but it spent its first hour or so really trying to just be frozen again. You know, the songs really kind of felt off and they didn't really like the, the story didn't really flow into the songs. It just kind of like, Oh, now, now we're going to sing because we want, this is the moment when it happened in the first one and it's a similar kind of song. And you know, they they tried to make Anna and Elsa exactly the same, you know, and give make their relationship the same in the beginning. And it was, it was all just really clunky. Like the story got off to a weird start and then just really accelerated and, there wasn't any explanation. There wasn't any, you know, time to figure out what's happening. It just all of a sudden this new grand big thing is going on uh, and they go into this adventure into the the enchanted forest. It, it all feels very off. Um, I, I really struggle with the first hour or so of this movie, but the back half, I think really redeemed it and made it, you know, made it pretty good. Um, overall, the final hour or so really let itself be different. And that's when you have like, it's a darker movie. It's a more adventurous movie. The songs are, are a little more out there. Like they're, they're very unique from the first one. Um, there's a, a very specific point where a, a character has a song. And from that point on, the whole thing kind of changes and the finale works pretty well, even though it's the twists are kind of telegraphed. Like as an adult, you know, you figure out pretty early on what's going on, but how they get there is enjoyable once you get to that second half of the movie. The, the first half really, really did not uh, did not sit well with me. So overall, it was fine. That's um, so weird too, because like in the trailers, and one of the things we talked we all talked about when those trailers hit was how different right. they looked. So was, were the trailers like all from the second half, I mean, or is they, it just the way they're a, laid a out? lot of them? There are a lot of those stuff in the trailers is from the middle of the movie. Okay, um, so it's kind of a mix of the two, and I mean like the. The locations are different 
almost from the beginning. But they went to this new place and it felt like they were tr- still trying to be, you know, what it was in, in the first in the first movie. And so like while they're in the woods and meeting these characters and trying to do new things, they're not really taking any leaps, they're not really taking any chances. It's not, you know, kind of the theme of my review when I wrote it up was the whole anthem of this movie is supposed to be into the unknown that's the name of the song that's like the let it go mm-hmm. of the second movie and it takes forever for the filmmakers to actually be willing to do that be willing to go into something that they don't know and, and something new and exciting it, it, it's like they were kind of afraid early on they were afraid it wasn't going to work and they wanted to make sure that this was as good as the first one and i think in doing that kind of lost themselves a bit so um do you say that disney animation doesn't quite yet have some of the flexibility and freedom that like Pixar would have with making a sequel. I don't know if it's if it's a flexibility thing because like one thing I well, found I'm weird asking because you just phrased it. You said it seems like that they weren't sure it would work. Right. And I, and I so think that was just from a specific that. filmmaker standpoint because I mean the co-director of this movie and the writer of this movie is Jennifer Lee who runs Disney Animation Studios. So I think it was. You know, so anyway, anyway exactly it didn't it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a <laughs> yes. situation like an extreme example, but with Suicide Squad, where there was clearly an executive influence on a movie, it didn't yeah. feel like it, there was there was any I mean, you know, it, trepidation. I, I, let there. me rephrase: Do you feel like whether the pressure was from the studio or just from the filmmaker yeah. themselves, you know, filmmakers themselves? Do you feel like there the pressure to create another massive Disney successful product? I, I think that? part of it is just because. Disney doesn't make that many sequels. When they do, it's such a big ordeal. Any Disney film you kind of go back and look at over history, any of the, the really popular ones, the only sequels they really got were like straight to DVD. Yeah. You know, things. And some of them, like, like I love Aladdin King of Thieves. Like, that's a really fun movie to me. But like, that's, it's a straight to DVD sequel. And also, it's the fun. sequel, the direct Return sequel of Jafar sucked. is bad. Yeah. So, um, and Lion King got I, a sequel. I kind of liked Return of Jafar. Oh, as a kid, I liked Lion it. King, Lion King 2 was, was eh. But was like, little, like, you're right, though. But Little Mermaid, like, they, they all those they direct got DVD these sequels. chances. And when you look at kind of the theatrical sequels, I one of the only ones is Wreck It Ralph. And I think Ralph Breaks the Internet is actually very good. But the first Wreck It Ralph, while people loved it, it was not the phenomenon that Frozen was. And Frozen has such, like, I think there's such a, a pressure, like you say, Kobe, to live up to what Frozen was because of how big of a deal it became over the years. And I think that that did get them flustered a little bit and worried. But once they kind of let let go of that and let it loose, and Jennifer Lee had a really, really good idea and a really good story. The journey of these characters in this movie, where they ultimately go, is very worthwhile and, and really has an impact. Once they get to that point and really go into that journey, it, it works. It works very well. Do you think female viewers will have it resonate as strongly as the first film did? To an extent. Um, cause I, at, at the core of it, like, does it still tell like, uh, in some ways a very female sense? Yeah, it, it's story? very, it's a very empowering story and, and it's really at the core of it. It's about sisterhood again. And that's weirdly when they were trying to recreate that sisterhood in the beginning of the movie, it did not work. But once they kind of got away from it and just let it grow, that theme and the bond of Anna and Elsa got so much more impactful and it, it really became more realistic once they journeyed out from what they were comfortable with. At the end of the day, it was still very much about started getting how much they (laughs) they care for each other and how much they mean to each other and kind of in addition to the sisterhood this really dealt with a lot of family stuff you know we've seen from the trailers a lot of it is about the history of their family and so there's a lot of that at play and instead of just sisters looking out for each other it's kind of how they uh how they would have functioned in their family and what their family or how their family has affected them over the years you know like kind of the decisions of your father and mother and, and the impact that has on you um kind of like the sins of the father type of thing not to there wasn't yeah. an issue, you know, no, there, yeah. just the expression, the sins of your father, um, and how you're affected by right. that. Right. Two questions to wrap it up. One, do you think Matt Aguilar will like this? Matt Aguilar will give it a six out of five. 
<laughs> because wow. Olaf is in it. So I mean, I well, the man knows. Pale. The man knows. Well, there's the there's Olaf, and then there's an even cuter sidekick in the little salamander. That was in the trailer. <laughs> okay, so Matt Soul. Oh got my that. god! Now, the snow G's come back. Do what? The snow G's come back. I I do not want to say anything to okay. you about. No. Right, okay, let Matt enjoy. Yeah. I'm very excited. Um, I'm sure he'll come back and give us his thoughts <laughs> when he goes to see this one. Final question. Um, you've, you have two highly anticipated movies this year. You've kind of not been really kind of enthused about either. Hmm. How would you rank this compared to Joker? I know oh, they're two I, completely separate yeah, movies. They are completely separate movies. Yeah. I, I like this a lot better because this one, to me, it, it, it almost redeemed itself. Like I gave it a three out of five in my review, which is still more positive than negative, where I had a lot of issues with it. I, part of it was I was so excited for this movie and it did disappoint me. But the back half is strong enough that it almost redeems some of the missing qualities of the front. So like when you when you leave a theater, you you still feel somewhat fulfilled from this movie because is there a song you're still it singing? ends it ends on a good on a yeah, good note. That's a is there a song point. you're still singing? I don't that's a the, n- none of them are nearly <laughs> none of them are nearly as catchy as Let It Go. Does into um, the magic unknown, is you dead. Said that that's the Let It Go of yeah. one. Does yeah. you think that blows up like Let It Go? No, not at all. Okay. Not all right. Um there's there is one I will I don't want to spoil what it is. There's one of them uh in the movie that it's that song I was talking about. Like at that point, it's right in the middle of the movie, and at that point I feel like the movie kind of changes and grows. But there's one song that it is filmed like an old music video, and they're very aware of the joke they're making, and it is so incredibly funny. And I really like I could watch I, I want them to release that video because listening to the song is fine, but watching it was so much more enjoyable. And I'm I really want to watch I'm so excited. That uh, that happened again. All right. That'll do it for uh, Frozen 2. If you want to uh, talk with Mr. Charlie Ridgely about this, you can uh, find him. Where are you at, Charlie? At Charlie Ridgely on Twitter. Okay. So, and you can hit us up with the hashtag Comic Book Nation and let us know your thoughts about Frozen 2 as well. Thank you, Charlie. Moving right along. We're going to go from the animated niceness of Frozen into the deep horrors of uh, slavery because of a new trailer for a film from the producers of Jordan Peele's Get Out and Jordan Peele's Us. This new film is called Antebellum, which is a reference not to uh, Lady Antebellum, sorry, but to uh, rather the whether now I got to really question that band name. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna have a conversation about that later. Oh my but God, yeah. uh, <laughs> the Antebellum South, which was of course the 18th century period between 1800 and 1900 in the American South when plantation system was in full swing and slavery was in full swing before 1861 in the Civil War and the New World that came after that uh, during Reconstruction. So this movie is called Antebellum, which is, again, um, it's not by Jordan Peele. It it is by two uh, different directors whose names I still have up here, thank God, is Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, who have done mostly music video work. They did uh, Kill Jay-Z, that whole 2017 kind of short film called Kill Mm Jay-Z, which is about Jay-Z once again shedding his persona for like the 15th time, I guess. Anyway, they're making this film, and it stars Janelle Monae, and the premise is that she plays an author who's a very successful kind of black woman mother, author. She's living in the South. She has like a very affluent, you know, lifestyle and group of friends that, uh, you know, mixed race friends, all that stuff. She has a good life. Um, but there is something that happens and we don't know. It's a supernatural thing where either aspects of like slavery, you know, past come appearing to her like flatliners or she's, does the synopsis suggest she's getting sucked back into this time period and kind of being trapped in there and like waking up in this time period. And then it's the kind of comparison horror between, you know, America of today and America back then and what it, how horrific it would be to live and maybe why it's not so different. Or as I noted in the trailer article, you know, metaphors, metaphors about how certain aspects of that history are 
having a resurgence or how the traumas of that have never really kind of been healed and blah, 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 blah. So it looks like it could be a very kind of, if it's pulled off well, mm-hmm. and the imagery in the trailer is is pretty gorgeous. I mean, it looks... It's a, it's a great trailer. Yeah, like, it's it shot really well, and it's very haunting and kind of doesn't tell you anything. It's just very music, imagery, and very haunting kind of the splicing between scenes in modern day America and these kind of plantation scenes and things in like supernatural little yeah. girls and body contorting and all of this oh, crazy yeah, that stuff that's like happening in this in this right. movie. Looks like this could be definitely like the next get out type of thing that is a horror movie but also spoke, sparks all this social discourse and yeah i was kind of surprised by this today i wasn't expecting this one and so, now i'm very interested so yeah. you said it has two direct but had two different directors it's not jordan peele but is he is it like executive producing like is is because it uh, has like i think the thing from get out i think he said it's ep is it yeah yeah i think he's listed as an ep okay. i will confirm for you in one second it but, definitely has that feel i mean yeah. you kind well, of well you got they're, the they're using the kind of they're trying to they're kind of sectioning out this lane of horror that's never been officially named now but this kind of like race horror mixture and taking kind of like issues of social race or even like sexism racism things like that and combining them into metaphors for horror stories is something we're getting with just you know the natural increasing diversity and directorship and voices Mm -hmm. um just like the babadook was another great one about motherhood and stuff like that from a female director so freaky kid yeah, yeah right yeah that was the scariest thing about that movie right but like yeah so we're having this kind of you know Hollywood's changing. People are kind of expanding. Um, but uh, it doesn't say Jordan Peele's officially producing oh, okay. this, but I think it's like Alex G. Scott. I mean, Janelle Monae, I, did, like, I just Revenant saw her in, and stuff uh, like that. in uh, Harriet, yeah. and that was she was fantastic in that movie. Um, I actually really liked the movie in general. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's I will watch her and anything. She's, I, I think she's great on screen, and she seems to be the one who's going to carry – yeah, this movie. Uh, so it's gonna kind of like we talked about Elizabeth Moss with Invisible. Like it's gonna be on her shoulders to really yeah. carry this because there don't seem to be a ton of other prominent characters yet. No, in I mean trailer. Jenna Malone and like Gabrielle Sidibe are the two other biggest names. Uh, Jenna Malone yeah. we know for like the Hunger Games, Sucker Punch, stuff like that. That cut scene of Batman and Superman. <laughs> oh, God, and yeah, uh, that's Gabrielle right. Sidibe, who of course <laughs> is precious and has been in everything since then. Yeah, but yeah, no, this is gonna be looks like it's squarely on Janelle Monae's so. and. I mean, she's a fantastic performer in pretty much everything. She can act. She yeah. does awesome music. She makes entire concept videos with her and Tessa Thompson that like yeah, she's awesome. make you want to like get a better life and be like, I need to up my life. I'm in life. on this. I, I so like, yeah, I want to see this now. And I just want to see how they handle this completely dynamite stick subject matter and what the discourse is. I'm going to be just having my popcorn for the Twitter feeds around. This, <laughs> the the so. conversation's going to be completely civil, I'm sure. Oh, yes. This is going to <laughs> what? be so nice. I think it will uh, be. So nice. Surprise us, internet. Well, we told Charlie we are just going to throw him in a hole. But Charlie, what do you think about this? About what? Antebellum. Okay, I was trying not to jump in. Because no, I know. We said we threw you in a hole, but I just it, gave it you looks, throw, it looks threw you a surprise very, pass. It, it's very telling that they went with the get out and us angle you know, from the beginning, like, like right at the beginning, it's of very, trailer, very yeah. much a social commentary, even though like it's not, it's, it wasn't like a Jason Blum connection. It wasn't a Jordan Peele connection. You know, it's still a producer and it's important, but it was very much like, we want you to know, like this is going to be a very socially awakening type of movie, or that's at least our goal in it. And I mean, Janelle Monet and everything she's done from an acting perspective has been fantastic. And to date, she really only ever gets smaller roles you know, which makes sense. She's really busy. Like she has a great music career, but I'm really excited to see her kind of anchor. Yeah. This whole movie. And I mean, cause she was, she was part of a, of a really great ensemble and hidden figures. And she was a, a fairly main character in that movie. This is hers. 
like almost more than the story, which looks really interesting. I'm more excited to see like what she does with an entire film on her back. Uh, All right, that's it from the Charlie Corner. Back over here. (laughs) So, thank you, Charlie. Uh, We're going to move on because we're going to go from horror to some horrific things happening over at DC. So, we've had this DC uh, Universe streaming service, which tried to be the first out of the gate, proving again that being first can ultimately leave you last. Oh, man. Can we call DC Universe the Dreamcast of streaming networks? Yes, we can now. Right? Because they were first out of the gate. DC Dreamcast. The Dreamcast of streaming services. It was all there. Uh, there. Netflix doesn't count because it started as a mail-order disc thing. It was online blockbuster. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, DC Universe tried to get out there first and get out there like big streaming service. Then it has been crashing and burning ever since. Um, thankfully, Doom Patrol's coming back. Thank thankfully, God. Titans is coming back. Thankfully, we got HBO Max to hopefully give this whole thing a yep. boost. But uh, if the, you wanted a sign that DC Universe has truly given up, after the Swamp Thing debacle, there was another series that was supposed to set to debut this year. Uh, well, Harley Quinn's coming in that could maybe save a lot of things. But there was going to be a Stargirl series that was coming. And... Now we're getting it, but there's a twist. So now DC Universe is giving up its exclusivity, quote air quotes, if you can't see me right now, but I kind of, uh, they'll launch new episodes of Stargirl on DC Universe to try to make those people watch it. And then they're going to put them on the CW the next day. That's the part that, that's so weird. Like, oh my God. No, it's not. It's, it's acknowledging we're making good series that DC fans would love, but no DC fans can see them. So... It sounds like Stargirl, and it, it, I mean, it makes sense. It sounds like Stargirl might be, like, one DC property that actually won't be, like, so R-rated that it can't be on the CW. Yeah. I mean, Doom Patrol could never be on the CMW. No. And Titans has even just <laughs> started throwing in random curse, curse words and nude scenes, like, all over season two, plus some pretty brutal violence. So, like, you can't show that either. But it sounds like Stargirl, which is, like, more Jeff Johnsy and kind of thing, will be able to be kind of have some of the edge of the DC universe, but still make it onto a network. Um, and this just is just kind of a way day thing. I get that because that makes total sense. Yes, I, I think it's a perfect fit. Yeah, for the CW side thing, I just don't get like why do it all. Like why just not give it to CW? Let them build because on that. they got to still. It's business. It's corporate business. You got to keep the lie up until it just falls <laughs> okay. completely apart. Um, so DC Universe is great until the day that it's just gone, and then yeah. like that's how I feel like they're gonna play this. Um, and so they, they're just trying to, and I mean, they're not, I mean, I I can't call it at this point. I'm not in the boardroom, but I don't think, I I think they want to start attracting a wider audience to that content Mm -hmm. now so that next year when we get rid of DC universe or just gets ported into HBO max, then there'll be even more actual incentive. Like nobody, I don't think anybody's dreaming that putting star girl on CW is going to get people into DC plus or DC universe. Yeah. That that ship sailed, no. like way gone, like so far in the distance, and we see it sinking already, like yeah. from the shore. So, I think they're just trying to, like I said, get people into the franchise, into the content, so that when they actually have a chance to do this again on HBO Max, more people will be aware, and they could also it could be a good test subject for how they can use HBO Max and still pull things off of there and maybe do this whole cross. Well, then they can actually use it as a. 
uh, an incentive, yeah. selling incentive, and say, hey, look, all your favorite shows that were on that thing that you barely watched are now on a platform that you will actually, actually see them on watch and watch you already and have. And you can watch Game yeah. of Thrones, Targaryens, and Stargirl, and Titan Season 3. Stargirl awesome. is curious to me, because that was one of the early it ones. It doesn't sound so bad. Um, uh, that was one of the early ones revealed and, yeah. and talked about, and we even got a promo image like really yeah. early, and then nothing. <laughs> well, because I'm sure time. like after Swamp Thing, I mean, this whole thing about budgets and returns and how do you even fund these shows? Oh, let's check the coifers on DC Universe. Hey, what is that? Is that lint? Oh, yeah. Like, how are we going to pay for this? Yeah. And then Titans gets renewed for a third season. And you're like, uh, I don't want, like, okay. I, I, well, I, I understand that because Titans, as far as branding, and if you're building like an actual streaming service, the, the key that we always forget about streaming services is uh, it's sometimes good to build up library for binging. And Titans will be the first show they actually have that is like a binging block yeah. that people will come out the other side of and actually have a quite possibly positive reaction to. And don't get me wrong, I like Titans. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's just it's just this it's so scattershot sometimes that it just feels it really does feel like they're kind of playing this fast and loose right now. They, I mean, they obviously they go, yeah. were from the moment they launched DC Universe, <laughs> one of the ill most ill conceived. Not even streaming services, but just websites I've ever seen in the last five years. Yeah. Like, I just want to quit the service every time I have to go to Titans and figure out where – because it, it always takes you back. It always presents the season one episodes as the homepage. And I'm like, okay, that's not what I want. Like, obviously, no one uses your service. Otherwise, you'd have season two because people would be continuing. And then I have to go all the way back up to the top of the page, the right-hand corner, to find the drop-down menu to get to season two. Is there even an app for consoles yet? Uh, I don't. I know. Think. I don't think there's. One I know for it's PS4. on Fire Stick. It did come okay. on Fire Stick. It's also on Roku. Yeah, it's on Ro- it finally kind of went on there. But it's not on Xbox or no, PS4. Not that I, know I, of, I couldn't no. tell you. Disney so. Plus has one opening day. Yep. It's like because <laughs> okay. Disney Plus likes viewers. <laughs> the DC Universe was just yeah. like, we're so cool. We don't need that. Yeah, Disney Plus definitely took notes and said, you did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. Let's fix that. Yeah, Bob yeah. Iger was like, here, welcome to our meeting. Here's how we're not gonna be. <laughs> welcome to DC Plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so Stargirl is coming to the CW. DC Universe is basically like dead. RIP DC Universe. I'm glad it's still coming and, out. Yeah. Yeah. And how I'm glad. soon before the Snyder cuts on HBO Max? I mean, it could be announced tomorrow. That countdown is on. Yeah. yeah. It, it could be announced tomorrow. Um, and if it's announced tomorrow, yeah, I mean, just know that I tell the future a lot. But uh, it'll still be bad. Yeah, oh! I'm not touching that. Oh! We did that grenade, grenade last time. Mini grenade. We did that last show. I'm not, I'm not getting it. All right. So don't let Connor throw you. Stay tuned because when we come back, we're going to deep dive into a movie review and some comic reviews. And Connor and Matt are going to tell us all about what we should be looking forward to at WWE Survivor Series this, that's coming up this weekend. Right now that he's gone, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Charlie Ridley's a good guy. You know, we get uh, we get stuff because we get into it, but uh, he's a good guy. So we're back now, and uh, now it's time for my movie review. Um, there's another movie coming out this week, which is uh, 21 Bridges, starring my man Chadwick Boseman of uh, Black Panther, James Brown, and uh, oh my god, oh my god, how am I messing his name? Jesse. Oh man, oh my god, they're gonna take away my black card after this. Uh, <laughs> 
Sit down, Rich. Oh, Jack, Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Robinson. Jackie Robinson. Thank you, Rich. Richard stood up in the booth and was like, this is your membership right here. This is your oh, membership in the Black head. Club right here. Well, I remembered, Richard. The Thank you, Jackie Robinson. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish we had a video of that. Anyway. Dude, you, you, can you blame me? Chadwick Boseman's playing you, like every flameless black guy in of, existence. Were you like, thinking of Jesse Owens? Yes, I was. I kept okay. thinking of Jesse Owens, and I was like, that's not it. Jesse okay. Owens isn't it. But he's just not played Jesse Owens yet. Yes. And I guarantee, <laughs> a month from now when we get out of here, I just saw the future again, and Chadwick Boseman will be announced as Jesse uh, Owens, and I'll oh, be man. like, well, there you go. But no, so he's played James Brown, uh, Jackie Robinson, T'Challa, um, and now we got him playing an actual fictional character in 21 Bridges. Um, he basically plays a cop who is, you get this whole backstory for him in the beginning that's very, it's an effective beginning that explains who this guy is and why he's such an intense cop. Um, he comes from a thing, a long line, his name's Andre, from a long line of cops, and it has to do with his dad, who was a cop. But um, he's basically known around the, the various precincts as the killer killer. Like, he's the dude who, um, his first scene is like, you know, he's had like seven shootings in eight years, all of them clean, all of them like high danger criminals, but he's just that dude in the yeah. department. So um, he gets pulled out one night when these two guys kind of go on this robbery for coke, and, and it goes sideways, they end up just having a major firefight with a bunch of cops. A lot of cops get killed and, you know, the department's out for blood and they call him in because he's got a, basically they get out of Brooklyn into Manhattan and he locks down Manhattan. The FBI will keep it up for him from like 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Simple, simple movie, single setting. I mean, single night movie. Yeah. Action movie. Um, and so he has to kind of hunt through Manhattan between hours of 1 and 5 and try to catch these guys. The end. So basically 21 Bridges is a 90s movie that somebody dusted off and decided to make now. It is very much like every 90s action movie cliche from the predictable plot twists um, and betrayals to just the way kind of scenes are executed and this whole idea of kind of this guy going up against like high velocity automatic weapons and only thing that his character ever picks up is his little tiny almost ridiculous <laughs> like funny tiny glock nine that he's like just whipping around and stuff what kind of distinguished as at least being a very kind of fun b action movie kind of crime thriller are the are the cast really um chadwick boseman is just like the man i mean the guy just has all-star charisma and his version of this cop andre guy he kind of nails somewhere between like an edgy or Denzel where he kind of like is more of a badass. Like when he looks at another cop, it's like, I will beat like, you know, the crap out of you. Like you believe in. Yeah. So he's a he's, young equalizer. Yeah. But he's like very also smart, sharp, and kind of just has that kind of, you feel like you're looking at King T'Challa still. Like he's very <laughs> dignified, yeah. um, but edgy kind of street at the same time. And that's very good in this kind of New York crime, hard boiled crime thriller. Um, the action and violence is very visceral in this movie. Like I said, this is nineties. Like, where people didn't care about this, like <laughs> where we pretend like mass shootings aren't like a extreme yeah. social trauma right now. Like, yeah, people, cops get laid out. People get their heads blown off in two seconds. Like it, it no, it, they're not shy about the blood splatter in this one. Director yeah. Brian Kirk. So they're, but it's very satisfying in that visceral sense. Um, and so the performances and the characters really make it. Bozeman's great. 
the other cast members are uh, Sienna Miller plays like this kind of grizzled uh, narcotics detective that he gets partnered with. J.K. Simmons is the captain of the department where he like works for that um, kind of is the one who brings him in and says, I want you to just kill these guys. Like, you know, my officers are dead. I'm not looking for arrests. And um, then he says, I want pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so, I mean, he is Jake. I mean, he is basically J. Jonah Jameson with a badge. Nice. Um, Stefan James and Taylor Kitsch are the two kind of uh, the crook guys who get like wrapped up in this. Cast. And Taylor Kitsch is like really intense. I mean, he's the most scary person in the movie because they're because they're both ex armed like Marines. And Taylor Kitsch is like the real crazy one who like came home and was never right. Um, and like, yeah, he's the guy who's like all about just going at it with the automatic weapons that are, and he's really good in this. So, uh, and it's good to see him back. And there's also just like, just like even the, just the random people are famous. Like Keith David shows up, uh, Morocco Omari shows up, uh, like, uh, some other people, but, uh, faces you've seen, or I'm not, I'm not Omari, uh, Alexander Siddig shows up as like a kind of fence guy in the middle of the film. Like he's the guy who, you know, the criminals all funnel their money through and stuff yeah. like that. And so there's a lot of talent in this, in the cast, and that kind of redeems what is kind of just like a bare-knuckle 90s crime thriller plot otherwise. Like I said, you've seen this movie like 20 times before. But you don't seem bummed about that. No, I yeah. enjoyed it because Brian Kirk's direction is pretty good, and it's in it. I mean, it's hard not to enjoy it as one of those movies. As, you know, I give it about a three stars because if you're just going to look for like a B, like it's just a simple, satisfying action movie with a good mm-hmm. lead, classic Hollywood style, this delivers that. It's nothing revolutionary. It's nothing like John Wickish. It's just like I said, it's 90s shootouts, running after people, car chases, stuff like that. Nobody's doing kung fu in the hallways and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it, it and it just satisfies on that level. Like you watch it, you're like, okay, that's great. It'd be it'd be a fantastic matinee. Like, okay. Or just a good like night out if you're when your spouse love action movies or love Chadwick Boseman, all, any of those are, are suitable for you to buy a ticket for this. Okay. Um, so 21 Bridges, good little crime, uh, you know, suitable little crime thriller. All right, that's it for me. Let's move on and talk about Marvel. We're tracking this uh, X-Men Dawn of X relaunch, but we're going to do a little X-Men and a little Spider-Man today. We'll real quick just go through uh, Excalibur and Marauders. Uh, I don't have too much to say about Excalibur. It was all right. The second was, issue. Uh, okay, so here's my biggest thing because I don't really have that much to say about it either. Better or worse than the first issue? A little bit better. Yeah, okay. yeah so a little bit better because the first issue just had to go into like setting up all the Krakoa magic. Blah, blah, blah. Like this there's an like, apocalypse scene in this. There's more humor and the fact that Kitty Pride's in the book actually. Yeah. So is. I mean, it's kind of a cheat right there because <laughs> the thing I like most about Excalibur is that the thing the Marauders kind of sort of like kind of sort of in it, and <laughs> I really love Marauders, which. I turned to you after I read Marauders this week and just said, okay, so officially this is my favorite Dawn of X books. Yeah. Uh, Dawn of X book is Marauders. Um, and the second issue is very different, as you pointed out, Matt, uh, it, when we did Comic Rundown, because it, it deals with the two – it, it kind of reveals the second half of this story. The first issue makes you think it's all just pirate adventures and with Kitty Pride and stuff. But this one makes you realize there's, it's really about the Hellfire Trading Company and how it works in conjunction with the Marauders – uh, in this whole mission and basically how they're on this kind of official, unofficial gray line of the X-Men Krakoa nation yeah. where, you know, what Kitty Pryde's doing is completely like illegal technically on a geopolitical scale, but morally right. And it's something Krakoa wants to do without having to officially acknowledge it. And the Hellfire Trading Company is literally basically written into be, 
yo, we know in this new world we're going to have to do some shady-ish <laughs> yeah. around here. Um, we don't want to get our dan- hands dirty. But, you know, Emma Frost and Sebastian Shaw, they love that kind of stuff. So, Sebastian Shaw, we're just going to unleash him. And if you want black market drugs and stuff, we got a guy. Uh, don't mess with that guy because he's kind of crazy. And we're not going to stop him if he goes nuts on you. That's so, pretty much like, what yeah. it is, yeah. He's like, that's why we got him because <laughs> some people are going to need their skulls cracked. He cracks skulls and he collects money and that's what we're going to be doing here. And yeah. in exchange, we'll get you some drugs you might need. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, uh, I just love too that it's crazy because they set all that up and then this issue is literally like the, it turning on itself <laughs> just oh, to yeah. prove a point. Like, don't go outside of, even though we're dealing with like black market and we're dealing with a bunch of shady stuff, there's still like a line in the sand. Yeah. And it's like crook and there's no honor among thieves, which is like, yeah. which is kind of what this book states in this issue. Um, this whole thing is like the ladies, uh, White uh, Emma Frost and Kitty Pride basically knocking Sebastian's D down in the dirt for him <laughs> yeah. because he tried to be Sebastian Shaw and you know step over the bounds and take more than he was supposed to and do more than he was supposed to and so they basically heist his operation That's so good like Kitty pirates his operation just so the White Queen and can have a drink with him and talk trash to him in conversation and basically yank his leash without man, you know damaging her high price nail job and yeah. just be like now back on the leash dear and don't make me come down here again like and- i have been so amazed by how well jerry duggan has written emma frost and kitty pride yeah like, i did not expect it to be that good no it's been great yeah kitty so. pride's like if there's an all like an x-men that we thought it was kind of stale i mean they've tried to reinvent her like 50 different times oh, yeah. and this is probably my favorite reinvention besides the age of apocalypse crazy kitty oh, pride. Yeah. um but this one is just her getting uh, this issue, like when they find out that Xavier was assassinated, yeah. uh, Bishop informs them, and Kitty Pride's reaction is to keep drinking uh, right straight from the bottle, which I love, and go right into a tattoo parlor and get what did she get on her Hold hands? Hold fast. Hold fast. Yeah, yeah like on her, on on, her knuckles. Her knuckles. <laughs> it's a knuckle tattoo, and that's how. Like, imagine like Kitty Pride from the seventies and eighties, little Kitty with her weird perm hairdo, like would have been crying yeah, on no. Colossus or Wolverine's shoulder. This Kitty Pride's like. Going to get a knuckle tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, like, screw this. I'm getting a knuckle tattoo, and I'm going to bash this into somebody's face eventually. <laughs> like, And I love that they run through the whole team, like, as far as their takes on tattoos. And then Pyro gets a, an entire face tattoo. Yeah, he gets a, Mike like a skull. Tyson's his face. And he says something, like, completely racially derogatory. He's like, come on, you muties. Let's do it. And you're like, whoa. What are you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah, but that's the fun of Marauders. It's just like, uh, this is what happens, and this is what this book is. And these guys are becoming, like, real pirates, and it's kind of awesome to see. So fun. Um, I also, like I said to you, I love that the... The artist commitment it takes to keep drawing Kitty Pride with that black eye and bandage over her nose, <laughs> yeah. and like how long is this going to last? And I hope it lasts a while. Like, yeah, it adds it lo- to the look. Yeah, it's yeah, I her, agree. Her being like just rough and tumbling, it's pretty great. So, Marauders is so much fun. Um, you guys should check that out. Excalibur eh, is trying to find its way still. Um, yeah. they're doing all this magic stuff and limbo stuff and Araco stuff. Apocalypse and, uh, is cool. Yeah, Apocalypse is cool, man. Um. And like I said, having like Gambit on the boat with Kitty Pride worrying about yeah. Rogue and that whole scene and like all of that was really great. Um, so when the Marauders are in Excalibur, it's pretty great. Uh, other than that, we're going to just quickly touch on uh, Absolute Carnage wrap up. Uh, Matt, I think you did a whole video about this. Yeah. So you guys can watch that on comicbook.com. But just to kind of uh, touch on it, um, I liked 
Matt, uh, Absolute Carnage might be my favorite Carnage storyline event since okay. since Maximum Carnage. Yeah. Um, or the original just three-part Carnage thing, which is obviously still my favorite. But um, I also I, I kind of thought it was like a weird cheat because it's not really an event as much as it's a stage setting event mm-hmm. that is masked as a major event. And I don't think they stuck the landing really. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of a shame because they, this was like one of the best in terms of crossovers in terms of sticking in all – I mean really nailing all the tie-ins, um, really just kind of being entertaining in the main series, being re- really entertaining in the secondary Venom series. And like I said, even the random tie-ins for Ghost Rider and everybody else, Hulk, all that stuff, Deadpool, all that stuff was really entertaining. So it's not like they botched the landing. It's just that there isn't really a landing. Yeah. The, it, it feels like this is – like issue six should come out next month and should yeah. be the end. Like it feels like, oh, well, we've set the table and we're done. We're going to go over here. <laughs> yeah, and it's like really you find out that like absolute carnage and we're going to talk spoilers here, okay? We're going to talk spoilers, but it just seems like absolute carnage is really just the stepping stone to like universal carnage or something whatever, like that. Yeah, yeah whatever the Everything title is. Everything is carnage. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, like whatever they talk about uh, or whatever they title the next thing because – the whole point of this was Carnage was trying to collect all these pieces and DNA samples of the symbiote that had been in various characters over Marvel, that which is like everybody because Marvel went yeah. symbiote crazy, um, and to free the god Null, the god of the symbiotes, from this prison that's made of symbiotes uh, formed like about the size of a planet Economics. that he's trapped <laughs> inside of. Um, and so to defeat Cletus Cassidy, Carnage, like, you know, Venom – takes on a symbiote and kind of gains these new powers and some codex, codex things. And he gains new powers. So they have the superpowered symbiote fight. And it ends up being that this is all a trap. Cletus Cassidy is set because Venom is forced to make a choice because uh, Carnage gets Venom's son. And it's like, either I'm going to kill your son or you kill me. But by doing that, you kind of absorb the last piece of the symbiotes that you need to awaken Null. And Venom's literal take on this is F the world. I'm going to save my son. <laughs> yep. So he just forms a little symbiote sword with his hand into his hand and he just cuts down Carnage. Um, and of course, the effect is that, yeah, Noel gets woken up and kind of is riding out of this. He Dude, expands, those two pages. Yeah, he's in this like little planet ball of symbiotes. He, ex- he yells, expel, ex- kind of expunges them. They look like weird little symbiote sperms swimming yeah. through space. Um, they all form up and like he gets armor, a big symbiote dragon, a horde of symbiote monsters, <laughs> and he's flying towards, we presume, Earth and Venom and all of that stuff. And that's the end. Yeah. Um, and Venom, and the best part is Venom, Spider-Man passes out fighting Norman Osborn Carnage uh, during this. And so he wakes up. He's like, oh, did we win? And Venom just lies to yeah, him. No one knows. No that one this knows is this has happened. Only Venom knows. Than him. <laughs> yeah. And he just lies to Spider-Man and even forms this fake bond. And he and Spider Peter like hug it out. And they're like, Peter says like, you know, well, you know, whatever we are, like, you know, it's good to see you. And, you know, it's good going forward. And he doesn't tell him anything. Until a month from now, when we get invaded, yeah. and then you're going to tell me, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And so he doesn't say anything to him. Yeah, and the jerk. final scene is him sitting down with his son, Dylan, who he's been telling he's his brother. But during the fight with Carnage, he says, like, let go of my son or something. And, yeah. like, it comes out during the fight. And so the last thing is him and like in a great final series. That's of a panels, great page. Yeah. It's just them sitting there and Dylan's all like traumatized and shaking. <laughs> Eddie's all like black eyed and beat up and bleeding because um, Dylan finds out he has the power to basically destroy because he is a living codex. Basically, like mm-hmm. he has a strange power still finding out about 
uh, he he can destroy Carnage like um symbiotes. Yeah, he just exploded. That yeah, he just like willfully thing. destroys the Carnage symbiote just using like mental power. So uh, obviously he's the key to defeating Null. Um, so this will be the big thing. Uh, Son of Venom, you know, versus Null with Venom in the middle. But uh, yeah, and he just says the last line is like, "Did you say you're my dad?" And then Venom's like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> and then it just cuts, and that's the end of the uh, whole crossover, which is a great ending and a funny ending yeah. to that. But um, yeah, so I liked it. Like I said, I liked the event, but I just thought I felt I got kind of cheated by the ending, like a true of ending, a true, a true ending, and like ending, yeah. Carnage. And I feel like. Marvel has done this thing where they've kind of burned out Cletus Cassidy as much as possible. I mean, he's literally just a corpse now. Oh, yeah. And, like, bones with a symbiote covering him, and now he's just gone again. It's just, like, I feel like that character's just got – is one that just kind of gotten just – I don't know what to say – cannibalized by Marvel in some ways. Yeah. And, they'll find some way to get And him bringing him back again when Null is just like, oh God. Like, like, let's just meet Null. Let's just meet a new villain. Let's just deal with that. Push you to the side. Yeah. That would be the the good thing. Yeah. Would be to put him on the back burner for a while. Yeah. Let him cool off. Introduce. Yeah. You've done all this work with Noel. Ride that out for as long. Yeah. And then go back to basics. I see. Yeah. Forget uh, the symbiote god stuff. All that and just. I don't think they'll do whatever that, happens yeah. with Noel in the aftermath. It, it it brings carnage back. Just Agreed. plain old carnage. Um. All right, but that's just my take. Uh, Matt, anything else? Do you guys uh, want to jump into WWE? Yeah, let's jump into some wrestling. Let's talk some wrestling. So, guys, if you don't know, we've got two shows this week, not know. just one. You got NXT Takeover <laughs> War Games. Yeah, I saw you. <laughs> saw you doing that. You got Takeover War Games, and you got Survivor Series the following night on Sunday night. Yeah, Matt. Um, I want to do this a little bit differently because we always go with what's oh. the what's oh. the match of the weekend. Okay. Um. I'm actually going to ask you for a couple of those. But first, how do you feel they built to this? Because this is the first time we've seen NXT get inserted into the equation of the never-ending battle between Raw and SmackDown for who does daddy love more this week. <laughs> well, you I can tell how much I love brand supremacy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and I don't fault you for that. But I, I think they've done it really well, actually. I think they turned, uh, a, you know lemons in the lemonade because i think once the smackdown takeover which was partly in the works but also kind of helped it, it, facilitated by a traveling it, issue yeah so yeah big issues yeah so i think that ended up being like you know they had these things in plans but i think that just was one of those things that you can't plan and ever since then i've been really enjoying the stuff i mean i know that not everyone is but uh i think they've done it really well and they saved their biggest guns kind of, you know, for this last episode of NXT and I and I thought for the most part that was a I had been that was the first time I'd really been um looking so much forward to NXT because of the sheer like I don't know who's going to turn up. Right. Um and that's part of the thrill of Survivor Series. I think that's getting back into what makes that pay-per-view special. Uh so yeah, I I've loved it so far. See, I I took issue with just the idea that the invasion was all they needed. Because the first time they did it, it was great. It was mm -hmm. fun. It was that it was that episode of SmackDown. Everybody's over in Saudi Arabia. Let's let's get them. You know, we got to fill up two hours. Get Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan. Yeah, a freaking dream match that we'd never yeah. seen. Stuff like that. And then they just did it again and again and did it a few more times to yeah. the point where I'm like, okay, so we've got this great match between AJ Styles, Roderick Strong, and Shinsuke Nakamura on Sunday. Is anybody going to talk about it? Nope. Oh, okay, why not? Um, we got this. We got this battle of three great tag teams across the three brands mm -hmm. going against each other. We're going to talk about that. Going to have any of them say so much as a word to the other team? 
or are we just going to have keep having mid carters from the other show jump out and try to fight them and act like Mojo Rawley and Zack Ryder are legitimate threats that make Adam Cole hightail it? Yeah. Because we got a lot of that. Yeah. The only time they got it right was Becky because she actually stood face to face with Shayna and was like, I don't give a good gosh darn, sorry, trying to censor myself, about <laughs> – Brand supremacy, just like every fan in the arena is yeah. like, thank you. We don't care either. I think, though, it, I because I will agree with you when it comes to Raw and SmackDown. I don't agree on NXT. I thought on NXT they've actually done – they've had a few times where they've, one, mentioned the match that they're in, uh, but also that – I, the bringing AJ in and the way they built it, it that episode was good. It was good. used much more sparingly it on was. NXT. And so, they, but I agree with you on because they also Raw. had to build up their other show, yes. which I also felt hurt the build towards War Games because they were being pulled in two different directions. It's like I'm I really mad at you because I'm going to fight you in a cage, but tomorrow we're partners. I can definitely agree with that. that I think there that was some. Me nuts. I think there was some. Uh, D- divisiveness in that communicating like who is supposed to be against who like i still i mean if you've watched nxt over the last couple of weeks so you still haven't you still know who doesn't like who who's against who you still have a sense of the rivalries but i agree it muddies the waters uh because they've had to also do this team impromptu team thing i agree and, and going forward instead of just the blanket okay you're the mid-card champion so you're gonna fight the other mid-card champions you're the women's champion so you fight the other two women's type title holders Mm -hmm. how about actually have some rivalries agreed why not like Shayna becky is an easy match right there bailey does not need to be in this match i'm sorry she really doesn't pam go away sit in the corner be nice to bailey (laughs) a better match you can go away for right now bailey um like i wish someone had been like you know what i want to go challenge aj styles as opposed to just i am also champion so i must fight champion like Tell tell a story. Don't just be like, just don't don't throw just a whole code of brand supremacy on this and think that counts. I no, I agree, and I think if we're for projecting forward, I I think this is proof of concept really for WWE because I think they lucked into this more than anything. Um, I would love to see that next year. If because I imagine this ain't going anywhere no. next year, this will be back. This, this worked. This is the start of yes. Yeah. So if we can do that, start the run up even a little earlier. If you want to get some of those stories seated, but I agree, I want to see that fleshed out. I don't want to just see person versus person like Cesaro and uh, oh god, Shinsuke? Uh, Shinsuke showed up. Yeah, uh, that, by NXT. the way, that happening should have been a jaw-dropping yeah, moment. Yeah, was not at and all. It was, it was just, oh, it's two guys in blue shirts. Yeah, I was more excited for Drew McIntyre popping up because that Because he actually segment, looked to the crowd and was like, hey, guys, remember me? Yeah. I was a big deal. Um, so I And I agree. I love the Becky thing. I love some of the other stuff that they they did. Uh, Ricochet showing up was actually cool because, again, it, it ended up in a – it wasn't an you, afterthought, a thrown-on thing. And You and, also ran into the problem of – a lot of these guys were just there. Like the street profits showing up at the end of Wednesday night's show. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you were here less than two months yeah. ago. Why the heck are you fighting for Raw? I did like the Kyrie Sane little like nod. Yeah, they, they actually that, acknowledged yeah, they that. Acknowledged that like, you were hey, here, crazy looking. We were friends and now you're wearing red and I'm a bad guy. Cool. But, but I agree. I would like to see that yes. next year. But I do like that. I am excited like, for a back-to-back pay-per-view. We, we are back to the phase of, hey, television's crap, but the pay-per-views are really good, yeah. like we were earlier this year. I there's think, a lot of great matches on these cards. I think so. we're back to that part. So with that being said, give me three. 
oh. matches that you absolutely need to see this weekend. Oh, well, uh, Becky, Chana, and Bailey. And Pam. Not Pam. <laughs> Her name's Pam. Stop it. She has the Pam Stop hair. Stop it. No. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I mean, uh, you have to say Shinsuke, AJ, uh, and Roderick. Roddy. Uh, you got to say that. So um, uh, let, let me just point out with that one. Because people are like, oh, God, last time we had AJ Shin, it was like for six months and we hated all of it. Yes. The advantage is that there is no story this time. And the one time when they didn't have a story, it was good. Okay. And I, I've been burned by that been a burned, couple times. But then they were like, let's make, let's go four months where we just make every match about nut shots. Yes, that's what we got last time. And then time. when they stopped it, we had that Money in the Bank match, went 30 minutes. It was great. Okay. I, that's why I didn't pick it as mine. My, my most look forward to it is Becky, but it's because I've. Because you're a Becky finger. I've, well, I'm a Becky. What? Fan. What you if, she, if she's the man, you are the fangirl. Get it? I mean, that's fine. <laughs> that's a, uh, Damn, I mean, son. I'm that a was fan. actually a slip of the tongue. Uh, that, well, no, that's what I thought. thought. But either way, I mean, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I, not, I am a fan. I'm sorry. That, I am a fan, though. But I am a fan. Everett. Clearly. Uh, just as much as you are for AEW. Uh, but here's like. For for Becky and Shayna, I just think I haven't been burned by that match before, and I also think that is fresh and new. I've seen AJ and Shinsuke go at it. I don't know how many times over the last couple of years. It's been a while. Roddy adds a whole other thing, which I'm excited for. Mm. Um, and then third, I would say probably uh, the women's war game match. I'm okay. excited for that. Just the unpredictability of it. Uh, I mean, I, I really, there, I think their women's roster is fantastic. So that's uh, fair. I'm going with, uh, AJ, Shin and Roddy, um, the tag match, because guys, if you haven't seen the revival versus O'Reilly and fish from this week's NXT, do yourself a favor, sit down, give yourself about 30 minutes and watch that match because holy cow, it's a good match. It's a That's a match. really good match. It's a good match. And now you got to imagine you put those two guys in with arguably the best tag team of this decade in the New Day and uh, just two hosses in the Viking Raiders. It's going to be good. There's a lot of fun you can have. It's going to be very good. And the third one, I'll go with the men's War Games match just because Keith Lee is going to shine in this match. That dude is – there is so much of that guy that reminds me of John Cena. Really? And I don't – I. I don't know if it's his charisma, if it's just the way he carries himself, if it's just that unnatural strength he can pull out of whenever. The dude just reminds me specifically of him. Oh, I don't not just being hmm. the top guy, but of Cena. I just I yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see it, but I mean I that's not a bad comparison, right? I mean it's not a bad comparison at all. So, uh I love Keith Lee. So yeah. With all that being said, with all the insults, I'm sorry about that, by the way. Why? With all the, with all the arguments, <laughs> I'll just say this. It's going to be a fun weekend, so check it out. All right. That's it for WWE Survivor Series preview. I have to keep remembering like what these are called. It's, it's so, fair. They're weird yeah, names, I, You guys dude. have fed so many of them into my head over the last few months. <laughs> stomping grounds. Yeah, stomping grounds. I'm like, no holds barred. Like, Still one of the coolest logos. Uh, but uh, that'll do it for this episode of uh, Comic Book Nation. Uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you were just getting into the show recently, we drop new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday. This is our Friday episode. A lot of people tend to uh, pick that one up for the weekend. But make sure you also hit up our Wednesday episode. 
It's when we always get in the middle of the crazy news week. Things are being coming at us fast and furious. Janelle Wheeler's here. It's a good time, so make sure you check out that episode as well. If you want to subscribe and get regular updates on the show, you can go through our uh, post on comicbook.com where we have an RSS feed. Or you can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Playlist. You can tell any Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast. Or you can catch us on YouTube under the comicbook.com uh, page. If you want to continue the discussion about everything we talked about, you can hit us up at the hashtag Comic Book Nation, or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. At Connor Casey underscore CB. And if you like the show, be sure to go on iTunes, drop a five-star review. I know we say we're going to oh, do it. Oh, yeah. We're... We don't have time today. We yeah. have too much to do, but uh, we will be doing it next week. I'll make that promise to myself right now. Uh, we're going to be reading more five-star reviews. So last weekend, because uh, we're going to give thanks, you know, for all of you guys tuning in. So... Be sure to leave your five-star reviews on iTunes so we can do that. That'll do it for us for this episode, but we'll be sure to see you next time for episode 86. This is Comic Book Nation, and uh, we're out of here. Peace. Later.